0: Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're talking about The Iron Claw, Sean Durkin's new film is out. Uh, starring Zac Efron as Kevin Von Erich, the head of the uh, Von Erich wrestling family. Uh, we're also talking about Maestro, Bradley Cooper's film is out. Uh, it's his follow-up to a Star is Born, which got a lot of praise, but then it comes out and Film Twitter flips out about it. I'm excited to talk about it. It's over on Netflix if you haven't seen it. We're going to talk about our top 10 films of the year. A contentious list, so contentious, so many contenders this year uh, we could we, not only could we not nail it down we couldn't even nail down what day to do it it's today, today is the day we're talking about the top 10 list i'm excited to tell you guys uh, what our favorites were and before we get to all of that we need to start with the news our first story this week uh scream 7 loses director christopher landon oh no firing the following the firing of melissa barrera and the voluntary acts of jenna ortega uh director christopher landon is out of scream 7 is spyglass doomed andy like
1: is there ever going to be another scream movie what where are we going with this? They're absolutely will like those movies are too profitable to make too much money to not continue to do them. Uh, This version of the cash cow is going to have to be on pause, which is a shame because I think the most recent one screams six. uh, six, Yeah. Scream six, I think was actually the most profitable in the entire series. So they were poised to just like keep churning these out and making money, printing money. But now, since we've lost our two leads, uh, Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega, it, it makes sense that we would probably the whole project's probably going to fall apart, and anyone attached is not going to want to stick with it for the for the time being.
0: Uh, Christopher Landon is the horror specialist behind Happy Death Day and Freaky. Hollywood reporters got the review here, uh, and he would have been taking over the directing team for uh, Radio Silence, uh, who was the the directing duo who was directing Scream and Scream Six, Scream Five, and Scream Six. Uh, they previously did uh, God was that movie with. Hide and seek? Is that the name of it? Is actually not a bad not a bad little horror feature. Uh anyway, they got these movies going, now they're moving on to, to bigger and better. Uh Christopher Landon said it's it sucks and that everybody should stop yelling about it on Twitter. He also said this was not my decision to make. Um Jerry's still out on where Scream's headed, I guess. <laughs> they're probably gonna take at least a year off, right, Andy? I mean, that's what I'd be doing. Just try to I mean you might have to reboot
1: next. you might have to reboot again, which is weird doing having done such a recent reboot just a couple years ago, but uh the all that's left are weak really weak supporting characters that most people don't really remember your headliners are gone so you might have to just reinvent the wheel again but luckily horror uh, allows you uh the license to do that
0: i think they should go in a radically different direction and hire kyle edward ball of skinner Rink fame to produce mm-hmm. scream whatever new Skin him Skin a scream scream a Rink. Uh, I, we'll see what happens next for Scream. It just seems to be like a series of uh, worse compounding problems, real uh, snowball problem over there. Uh, and obviously not good for Paramount, who is uh, really heading that. Um, you know, They're already not having a great year. Um, this doesn't help. Uh, but who is having a good year, I'll tell you, is Amazon. <laughs> Amazon Prime. Dude, yeah, Jeff Bezos is having a great year. Because uh, Prime video ads are coming on January 29th. Amazon just announced this to everybody. Did you
1: not hear? Did you not get the email? Yeah, they're putting ads on Amazon Prime. Andy, what do you know about this? A belated Christmas present to us all, indeed. Ads coming to Amazon Prime. Now, this is different from other streamers who have done this. Uh, When Netflix introduced their ad tier, it was cheaper, and it was something you could opt into. Amazon Prime is taking a different approach where they are forcing ads on you onto their existing price tier. And if you want ad free, you have to pay an additional $3. So they are making the ad tier the standard basic tier of their their programs. It's a little bit different approach. Um, They claim they're not going to be very invasive or be less than traditional TV and other streamers. Uh, We'll see. But this is definitely frustrating.
0: I'm, I'm genuinely considering canceling Prime. I mean that. And I've told people that. And they're like, what do you mean? What do you mean you thinking about canceling Prime? Like, everybody has Amazon Prime. But, like, really, I, I don't use Amazon Music. I've got Spotify, right? Like, I, I like Prime Video fine, but I already have a handful of other services. And on top of, like the absurd number of disparaging stories regarding like workers rights and like how people are treated in amazon warehouses despite all of those um my packages don't even show up on time anymore is is it just me or does amazon kind of suck you know what i mean like maybe i'm wrong are are you agree with me on this
1: i mean i've noticed that too you know when they first started they yeah you could order a package at at 10 in the morning and have it by noon and now it's yeah, it's taken several days and now you, the allure and, and advantage of having prime and now plus having to pay three more dollars for the uh the ad tier but what a lot of these streamers are getting back to is what traditional tv was be, because it was basically a double pay system you got paid to run a show and then you got paid again to put ads during that same show and the streamers have been missing out on ad revenue for a long time and now it's uh, it's upon us.
0: I'm so over it. I don't want to watch ads. I've been enjoying not watching ads, and I appreciate that Amazon has an option for me. It is absurd that I have to take the extra step and opt into that now. And if I don't, like I'll just continue getting content and they'll just get, you know, ad revenue on top of what I already pay. Like I think that's super lame. I don't like it. Um, you know, whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Any other tanks? Obviously I'm not canceling Amazon, right, Andy? You're not either. I, anything else on this? I, I I wish I had more to say. I mean, out.
1: it it's just more of the uh just more of what of what we've seen that yeah. the ads are here to stay and every streamer's gonna have an ad tier. Mm.
0: Keep it here on off script for more from Amazon Prime. Uh co- the color purple trounces Aquaman 2 at the box office this weekend. Big surprise, I think. Uh, people I think Trent said Color Purple may not crush it. I didn't know who was going to do it in like the flurry of films that have come out over the holiday. Uh, somehow, Color Purple rises to the top. Andy, what's the story here?
1: Man, well, the box office is so different this year compared to most weekends, and especially last year. Aquaman, the first Aquaman, which came out in 2018, was a huge hit, made over a billion dollars. DC's highest grossing uh, like film kind of... Uh, ever in the last ten years or so uh, swims it sinks as the as the outlets have said and uh, the color purple is finding a, an audience uh, I was looking at times I remember looking on like Christmas Eve or or like Christmas day and everything was sold out from like the four thirty show into the evening completely packed completely sold out um, it's a big hit the musical is back between this and Wonka and next month's mean girls we might have have a bit of a musical resurgence upon us. Yeah,
0: just a couple of weeks ago, I saw that new Color Purple trailer, the last one uh, in theaters, and it plays great. It looks super good. And I think what I like about how Color Purple has been marketed is that they not only tell people that they're musical unlike Wonka and Mean Girls who are both leaning away from it um they lean all the way in and say it's a bold musical it is a bold reimagining of a musical it is new and exciting and different and that's really grand and I think like when people go to the theaters they want that big show experience and believe it or not Color Purple has it I think I'm looking forward to watching it like I feel like I've seen good reviews um I don't know. I, I, I think Color Purple might be a W all around. It's produced by Oprah and Steven Spielberg, big names attached. Um couldn't 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 be more pleased, I think. Not only is it a, a a W for the Color Purple, it's a W for musicals everywhere. And it makes Wonka and Mean Girls, who again lean away from it, look a little foolish in retrospect. Like I don't know. Maybe maybe it's worth leaning in sometimes.
1: Yeah, abs- absolutely. Like like we've said the this has been a down year for the the superhero pick a lot of people think that it's done we're we're over the the superhero era um i don't think that that's true at all it's just been a a bit of a a bummer year but it it has been interesting what kinds of films have been big this year we have things like tomorrow movie barbie oppenheimer it's definitely a different landscape it is important to point out that we still have not uh recovered from pre-pandep demic levels at the movies uh were down almost 40% still from 2019 which was kind of a banner year in cinema in the cinema box office uh it's it's reco- been recovering since the pandemic but it's still happening
0: mm. yeah still not there well, yet not quite uh in smaller news yeah illuminations migration is their smallest opening to date i don't I have much to say about that and uh, all of us strangers the new uh, andrew uh, andrew hay film which is uh andrew scott and and paul, Mes- paul mescal right uh opened mm-hmm. in four locations in new york and la and it's doing great in the four places it opened and the rest of us just have to wait hopefully it'll come around we will cover it probably when it comes to our town on off film review uh, one more story this week. Something special before we get into the top tens, I think. I'm excited to talk about this. I saw this on Twitter. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. Uh, President Barack Obama released his favorite movies of 2023, right? Uh, and I thought, well, hold on. Why not? Why not take a look at, uh, you know, our, our, our former fearless leaders? Favorite films and just compare maybe to what we think. Uh, Andy, do you want to do you read? Can you can you read this from over yeah,
1: there? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so he had his top three and then other th- favorites. Uh, his top three were Rustin, Leave the World Behind, An American Symphony, and then his other favorites were The Holdovers, Blackberry, Oppenheimer, American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Monster, Past Lives, Air, Polite Society, and A Thousand and One. Uh, some of these I haven't I haven't seen. Uh, a couple of these I haven't really heard heard of before. Yeah. very strange lit list. Um, I've heard Rustin is very good. at That's about a uh, activist. Um, with starring Coleman Domingo, I have not seen Leave the World Behind, but I heard it was kind of Netflix garbage. And American <laughs> Symphony is also a Netflix. Uh, film, but it, I mean, th- this sounds like the list of someone who didn't really go to the movies. Like, where is Killers of the it, Flower Moon? Where is Yeah, uh, uh, Barbie, um, so many other big movies, and and like I said, Leave the World Behind was not not well re- received. And uh, someone said that they <laughs> that uh they saw one of his daughters at at the opening of one of these movies, and she's the reason that uh one of these movies that's on his list. I can't remember which one it was, but yeah, it, it, it's a, weird.
0: The, the, the meanest one, I think, would be Polite Society, because that one is actually aimed at young women. So if it was like, oh, yeah, his daughter went to Polite Society, and that's the, like, oh, hold on, Polite Society actually looked good. I didn't see it, but I think it's on Peacock now. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I like I didn't see these these top three he's got here. Rustin leave the world behind American Symphony. He explains that his studio produced those. Fine. He he even puts a big bat line break. That's cool. I get it. Like shameless plug. And hey, Coleman Domingo got nominated for a globe for Rustin, I think. So like for what it's worth, there's something good going on there. Um the top half of his list reads great. Holdovers, Blackberry, Oppenheimer, American Fiction, Move Fall. Okay, yeah. All right. Past lives. I'll take it. Gets a little weird with monster in a thousand and one, I uh, have not talked about those movies ever on this show. I think and we do a movie podcast every single week. Uh, and then air the Nike film. I guess yeah, the other things I'm surprised to not see, I'm going to say are things like killers of the flower moon, right? Or maybe Barbie. Like I thought that that might make an appearance. Holdovers makes sense. No spider-man is a little weird, but respect. I think he had the first one on his list back when that came out. Um, no Skinner ring. It's my favorite joke to make, but come on, like it's it's the most radical, one of the most radical ones. Um, no Mission Impossible. Hard to believe. I guess it's been a great year at the movies, and this this list feels a little ginned up. I think.
1: Yeah, like I said, Ob- Obama. He is in the film production business now. He has a partnership with Netflix. He has his own production company. I think there's definitely try to appeal to certain other filmmakers or. I mean, I, I think this is definitely saying, being like, l- look at the streamers, look at Netflix, what the good that Netflix has done. Yeah. Um, it's it's a real weird weird list. No he respect.
0: You know to make the industry better, less less woke, more original screenplays. That's what we need. That yeah. that's like that's why what Obama's is missed here?
1: Why is air on here? Why is the corporate slog um, and BlackBerry and, and Black? Yeah. <laughs> The, the corporate <laughs> biopic, like, how how are these yeah. even movies that get made? I um, don't
0: Hey, you know what? You know, I don't know. He could have gotten weird with something like Zone of Interest, though. I suppose even, even he can't get his hands on that film, uh... I, a fine list, I suppose. We'll be talking about our top tens uh, here in between our reviews. But first, we need to get to our first film of the week, I think. We've got to move this along. I'm excited to talk about this movie. I I have no, tried to go in knowing as little as possible about this story. I have a couple friends who are, who are into wrestling uh, and also are local to Dallas where the events of this film take place. Uh, so I try to go in fresh. I'm excited to introduce you to it and talk about it. Uh, the movie is uh, The Iron Claw. So the Iron Claw is the story of Kevin Von Eric of the Von Eric wrestling family dynasty played by Zac Efron Von Eric is a beast of a man huge hulking creature uh, who is a wrestler and is working his way up to become uh, the world wrestling champion his father uh, is a brutal uh, brutal man a former wrestler as well who's very excited for his son to move up but also encourages his other sons uh, who have this long goofy blonde hair and then, like, one's got an odd bowl cut all of them are encouraged to get into wrestling or at least some kind of sport and so some form or fashion there's kevin there's kiri there's uh, carrie there's david and mike that's them in order uh and they are all working towards the same goal of getting the family belt but there's a little something odd about the von eric family a family curse uh that they say in the film that uh disaster may befall them right right when they're right when they're right next to success right just like what happened to their dad and uh Slowly over the course of the film, we discovered that like I don't I don't know fam- family brings us together, um, but boy, you you can experience some, some challenges. Uh, it is a unique watch, and it, I think it might be some of Zac Efron's best work, along with Sean Durkin, who uh, directed this feature. Uh, excited to talk about it, Andy. What did you think of the Iron Claw?
1: I thought this was really phenomenal, and it had high—I had high, high hopes for it, and, and it definitely stood up. It's an examination of uh, this curse that runs through their family. It's kind of the curse of, that's brought about uh, by their father. It's one of these kind of self-fulfilling prophecies, but it's essentially uh, about these really unrealistic expectations that get put on all the family. The the father has. Um, like his favorites. He was like, well, you know, my favorite, and he literally lists his favorite kids, like one through four. And he's like, those rankings can always change. Um, those rankings and can he's change. always yeah. pushing these kids harder and harder. Uh, there's a, there's a, a scene where Kevin Von air Zach Efron's character is clearly very hurt outside of the ring. It takes a long time to get up from a bump. And he's like, you got to get up faster than that. Yeah. You, you, you think you're going to get, going to get the belt. Um, and it's, it just shows like it tells us it shows us what the curse is and really it's essentially about toxic masculinity to use a buzzword but it shows us how those kinds of expectations on uh young men can really destroy them and and their families i thought it was really phenomenal really incredible um acting from from zach efron both a physical transformation and just he's the emotional heart uh, of the film. Um, and man, it's a tragic story. It's almost too tragic to be believable. Like if this were fiction, you would tell someone to like, you know, kind of lighten it up. Like, dude, you, you can't have this happen, but it, you know, if, that's really what went down.
0: Yeah. You're absolutely right. If this were fiction, some screenwriter along the way would have been like, you got to edit this and tighten this up. This doesn't work. And like this, this doesn't come together. People aren't going to like, it's crazy, uh, and I think that's part of what's so interesting about it, but but to me, more more interestingly is like our setting and like you said, our, our character of kind of masculinity in this movie. Uh, wrestling is such a fascinating uh, medium to set a story in, right? And it's usually fantastic in cinematic form. You can think of Scorsese with Raging Bull. Obviously, you've got your Rocky Balboa. Um, even like Clint Eastwood, right? Million Dollar Baby. Like, You can tell incredible stories inside of a ring, and although those are boxing, films like wrestling is not all that dissimilar right certainly a similar similar cinematic setting and I think uh, Sean Durkin does such a fantastic job of capturing functional performance like by by these actors in uh, a wrestling setting where they are performing like it kind of works out great you know like you don't have to worry about Zac Efron and Jeremy Allen White like making a punch look convincing but what they do have to do is look like these just absolutely ripped monsters which they do. I can't believe the 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 condition that zach Efron is in in this movie. Like not only from like acting ability but just physical like outrageous ability. I remember seeing an interview from him uh after he did Baywatch and he said that he didn't want to look like he looked in Baywatch really ever again because <laughs> it was awful and he had to eat like this incredibly specific diet and he had to deny himself all these things he likes in his life and he had to be dehydrated so your muscles poke out and it was like I can't do that. Now he is so much further from that in this movie. <laughs> it is bananas. He looks like he—he he looks like he's halfway to like Dwayne the Rock Johnson. He's huge. And meanwhile like Jeremy Allen White is also real big. Harris Dickinson the third brother not quite as large and uh god who's the fourth one? Stanley Simons is Mike. He is like the leanest of all of them. He's the, he's the big softy, which gives you like this good broad range of brothers who all have different like ability and interest, I think.
1: Yeah, it it's really part part of the tragedy is that you have the three brothers, uh, the older ones who are, you know, all going to be in the ring like they're they're athletic, they're big, they're tough guys, they're definitely built for this kind of thing. And then Mike is he he's the artist of the family. He plays guitar, he's in a band, he plays a bunch of different instruments, but because of the pressure Of the family and specifically their father he gets roped into a career that he probably shouldn't be in and and doesn't like he's a big guy because they're all big guys in this family but uh you know he's he doesn't have like the size and the mass and uh you know he ends up getting hurt pretty easily in the film
0: i'm such a big fan of like the abusive dad in this movie obviously nobody should be a fan of abusive father but holt mccallany is so great is this like you know Texas rancher used to be a wrestler thinks he knows everything dad, whose like hair is dyed this goofy yellow like is this is fake as his hair color but like he has such commanding presence over the family and specifically over the boys. Meanwhile, mom Mara Tierney, is like totally on the back burner. She's like, well, you, t- you you boys need to sort it out with yourselves. I'm doing my own thing, you know. And like slowly over the course of the film, as things begin to unravel. Um, the two of them like retreat into themselves more and more. Um, he just gets more bitter and he gets harder on the boys. And just keeps applying pressure. Like his signature iron claw wrestling move. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, like Mara Tierney um, devolves into this like heartbreaking scene. Uh, she's, she's fantastic. Um, really fantastic performances from our cast all around. Like really, really tremendous.
1: I think, uh something else that i really liked about the the film is it takes the viewer into the world of wrestling to better understand it because you know if if you're not a fan of wrestling a lot of people well you know why would i watch that it's fake and they take us into the well, yes, it's scripted, but it is a performance. You're there to put on a show and win over the audience, and that's what really is about. Like these belts and things, it's like who can be the best entertainer, who can get draw the biggest crowd, sell the most tickets, sell the most concessions. Uh, you, you know, and it's interesting because Zac Efron's character is really good in the ring, but he's really terrible on the mic. Like he, when he goes to do the the promos of like this Saturday, I'm gonna be yeah. meeting up with whoever, and I'm gonna i'm you know doing that that whole sunday 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 kind of he's terrible he got he stutters he's not confident and then the 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 taller uh david von air er, um played by harris dickinson like he's the opposite he's he's much better he's a much better showman and he kind of helps bring that around but it, it brings the audience, the audience into that world to understand it a little bit better about what they do why it's important and what they're what they're trying to achieve because it no it's not a fight like a boxing or a wrestling mat or an MMA or something like that it's a different kind of entertainment
0: yeah, like it, it, sports wrestling entertainment, right? Yeah, that's the idea. And it's such a it's such an interesting idea to prop your characters up against this idea that like if you just work harder, if you just push harder, like you push out one more set, you run one more lap, like you take down you take one more bump, you know, like you'll you'll get there. And meanwhile, like you you're in a setting where like ultimately like having having persona matters and and, and being able to perform matters and like having, having gravitas on camera matters. Like, really interesting like in a fascinating little like like blender to drop your characters into and just whirl them all up and run them into each other you know and, and it happens like you, you fist fly in this movie people fight like there's a bit of violence for sure but in the same way like you get so much of the energy of like what I think wrestling entertainment should be like some of the promos that are reshot in here with like I don't want to give any wrestlers away if you're a fan but um they, they have so much energy to them like and the music drives up under them right and uh, Dirk and just like has these long slow slow pull pull pull-ins on the ring and these tvs playing stuff like it just it just has such a it's such a vibe like and it's such a delight to watch not to mention like a lot of classic rock in the soundtrack which is great and of course 70s dallas which looks like a great place to hang out i'm sure it was hang out the sportatorium in 1976 um everything just feels very like authentic and 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 just takes you right back to uh your von eric ranch
1: yeah, one thing that, that I think this story is is very tragic. If if you know, no, I'm not going to spoil any of it here, but the movie does still manage to end on a triumph. End on uh, our our characters growing and kind of breaking the bonds of, of generational trauma, um, but it is at at a at a high price. But it because it, some people are like, where is this? How how is this story going to end? Like, where do we get? Where do we end? But we we do like most movies, we end on a triumph. I, I think. So.
0: Yeah, sorry, I couldn't tell you. I could tell if you cut out or not. For a second, I thought I thought I, thought I lost you. Uh, no, I think overall, like Iron Claw ends up ending in a place that feels uniquely satisfying, and it's a bit of a magic trick. Because if you've heard, yeah, loose reviews from people like us who are like, "Wow, there's a lot happening in this movie," like it can seem really daunting, can seem really intimidating. But like, I think there's a soft spot at the center of this movie that's, um really gratifying once you kind of drive to it uh also like i said at the top like tremendous performance from Ephron. i think it's his best work i'm sure there are people out there who are like no no high school musicals is his best work respect really though i he he is going to a new place like with a movie like this if he can keep turning out movies like this i don't know i don't know what he'll do next um really fantastic really fantastic all around Andy, any other thoughts for recommendations i'm ready andy would you recommend the iron claw
1: Absolutely, it's definitely one of the year's best transformative performance by Zach Efron and the rest of the cast as well. Jeremy Allen White, who of course we love from The Bear, Harris Dickinson, who was in last year's Triangle of Sadness, Hope McCallany is always always good. Very powerful story, really takes you in into this like kind of down and dirty world of, of professional wrestling and people trying to make it big in this this career. Uh, bit of a heartbreaker, but uh, highly recommend.
0: Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I think I'm Claus, super good. Great move to take dad to. And I know it's like hold on, generational trauma, but like really, it's it's going to be like classic rock and like wrestling and like all of those are things that like dudes will connect to. And I think like ultimately the message is not going to rattle anybody's cage. It's a good time. Like it's it's surprisingly good, I think. A little long, um but not not nearly as I should say much more engrossing than the other feature we're going to talk about (laughs) in this episode, Maestro, which we need to get to. Uh, But first, before we do, uh, we need to talk about something that's been particularly heated. Like I said at the beginning of the episode, we have been working on this thing day and night. We've been down in the lab, like cooking up the best possible lists we can come up with, and I'm excited to reveal. Um, Andy, do you want to do the honors? It's
1: time for the death of cinema. we're going to be doing our top 10 of the year yeah! finally at long last Woo! it seems like everyone does their top 10s in like late November and we always feel like we're late to the punch um there's still a few movies out to see that that we want to get around to and it's just not going to happen this year like the color purple ferrari the zone of interest uh th- so those could have changed the the settings but um I think we've gotten the most of these. It's been a, an incredible year for film. We had a really hard time keeping it to 10. I Easily could have done a top 15 or a top 20. Um, it's nice to see a, a year filled with with this many kind of good and different movies because the last couple of years, it was actually a little bit light. I remember 2021 only having a top nine because I didn't think there were 10 uh, films that, that deserved it. So, uh, Zach, why don't you start off with your... I don't know where do you where do you want to start your top five? Or, you know, or, uh, yeah, I was gonna to say 10. we always how do we we do always this? struggle to get through
0: these. I'm gonna th- throw a, a real curveball at you this year. Can I just read my ten? Are we good with that? I think we're all adults here. Like the audio listeners will appreciate it. They don't they don't need to talk through these. Can I read my ten and kind of just quickly talk through each of them and then you do your ten? Then we'll do honorables and disappointments.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think the, our honorable men, our honorable mentions in worst of the year and our new disappointments of the year is also uh, maybe more fun. So yeah, go ahead.
0: God. Yeah. I'm, I'm realizing I didn't uh, complete the assignment when it came to worst of the year, but I'll find it along the way. Yeah. No, my top 10 in reverse order. Number 10, David Fincher's the killer. It's on Netflix. Tremendous work. Michael Fassbender, uh, a really good time though. I am admittedly a Fincher stan. Number nine, the boy in the Heron, and Hayao Miyazaki's return uh, has been tremendous. I again am a big stan, big fan, I love The Boy and the Heron. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse at number eight. The follow-up to Into the Spider-Verse was unique. Uh, if, if anything, it would have been higher on the list, but I didn't like that it was felt like one half of a whole. Uh, Ari Aster's bow is afraid at number seven. Uh, a, a really odd pick, but dude, I was so charmed by that movie, and I'm still thinking about it, and I just saw it got added to Paramount with Showtime, and I'm probably going to check it out. Uh, Poor Things, Yorgos Lanthimos at number, what is that, Six? uh we just saw this a few weeks ago it is so immersive it takes you to another world it is a portal through the looking glass you should totally check out poor things if you can stomach it my god content warning uh, asteroid city from west anderson number five again i said with 10 and 9 that i like who i like i'm an astro i'm a west anderson guy west anderson people put asteroid city on their top 10s <laughs> uh, you know what? I'm I'm not ashamed of it, but I want you to understand why it's there. I think it's great. Number four, The Holdovers. Uh, Alexander Payne, I'm finding, has an odd past. And as I learn more about him, I'm finding that I am increasingly uh, fascinated that The Holdovers is so tremendous. It's weird to watch a movie in theaters and know it's going to be a Christmas film you watch year after year. And that's what that movie is. Number three is Barbie. Greta Gerwig's feature uh, was a surprise. I think uh, to everybody, nobody really knew what to expect, but I didn't expect uh, something so eloquent. I think it's really tremendous. Great work all around. Number two is Oppenheimer. Uh, a lot of people have Oppenheimer. Number one, Chris Nolan is a close number two behind, of course, Killers of the Flower Moon from Martin Scorsese. I think that movie is so neat and i can't remember the last time i watched a movie that was three plus hours and not only was i tuned in the whole time like i'm looking forward to watching it again really incredible work that's my top 10 i hope that wasn't too long
1: i just figured i'd blitz it and then yeah, i was, was quick yeah like that's good like, like that's you're up next so yeah i think we're good yeah and what I like is that we have a uh, we have some of the same things, but we also have some very different things, and also in very different positions. My uh, number ten cause it's going to be a controversial take: is *Skinamarink*, the unique horror, <laughs> horror film from Kyle Edward Ball, Nuke newcomer. Uh, this movie scared me so much and scared a lot of people. It was a phenomenon. It uh, was made for $15,000 in his childhood home. Went on there to God. make millions. Um, and w- I'm excited to see w- what he he does ne- next. That movie really devices. You're either into it or or you're not. And if you are, man, is, is it uh, an experience. Um, number nine is Godzilla Minus One from toho studios this was a huge surprise for me i i had you know i like a good monster movie love godzilla and didn't expect too much and this is this very serious post-war drama looking at ptsd and found family and community and the the sanctity of life which is something the war movies obviously often get get wrong a big surprise. Uh, number seven is May. De- or sorry, number to nine eight is uh, May December. Uh, the Todd Haynes drama that starred Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, exploring some very difficult subjects, and a movie that is ultimately about its victim, uh, which I kind of didn't didn't expect there and the the kind of growth that that character has really good performances and taking on some real tough subject matter uh number seven is the iron claw big i mean we just talked about this phenomenal movie very tragic uh great performances and just really dives into a a lot of difficult subjects oppenheimer at number six of course one of the movies of the year love to see um, Christopher Nolan do his thing and kind of make people talking in rooms real interesting because that's really what it is. It's a political drama for the most part, um, but it just moves along and keeps you engaged the entire t- time. Really impressive. Coming in at number five, Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese's latest uh, epic about the murders in uh, Osage County, Oklahoma great performances from dicaprio de niro and newcomer lily gladstone who everyone says is a big front runner for uh, to to win uh that leading Oscar. oscar mm-hmm. uh number four barbie of course from greta gerwig this movie took uh the cinema by store highest grossing movie of of the year as it competed with oppenheimer it's amazing that they both did so so well um but a very powerful film taking on women's issues and highlighting those. one of the reasons I think it succeeded is it, it was because it was a movie by, by a woman for, for women, which a lot of times people forget, like this reminds me of the Marvels. The Marvels is a movie with starring women, for men, like superhero stuff is still aimed squarely at men and boys. And so when you tap into that female audience, you can really do amazing things. I'm, I'm really excited to see what Greta Gerwig do, does next. And that leads into my number number three, very similar, Poor Things, which is arguably a good companion piece to Barbie. It's a similar kind of Frankenstein Pinocchio story starring, of course, Emma, Emma Stone, Rami Youssef, Mark Ruffalo really i don't know i just i really love that that movie i i wasn't sure if i would because yorgos lanthimos can get really strange really weird um but i love that character's journey it's an epic of of source Loved the score love the uh, kind of set design the holdover is also a huge surprise um this looked like a fine movie like oh look it's another you know winter drama okay and no it's it's hilarious paul giamatti is so funny newcomer Dominic sessa who had never acted professionally in his life was literally like at one of the school's acting programs there uh, was in high school amazing t- talent uh Davine Joy Randolph who everyone is saying is going to probably win the the supporting actor actress award at the uh, Oscar incredible film and then my top film of the year and this is my personal favorite Uh, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. (laughs) I feel I'm the only person that's going to have that up there, but I was really blown away from it. I've watched this movie like five or six times since it's, I saw it twice in theaters. Um, it gets me every time. The, the art style in the different universes, it, uh, we delve into Gwen Stay, Gwen, a Spider Gwen story has a big emotional impact, but it's, uh, our, our main character, Miles Morales, of course, deals with not belonging. He's told he doesn't belong in this spider society, in this uh, he's, he's a problem. He doesn't belong. And that's really a parallel to real world places where he's being told he doesn't belong he deals with betrayal from his friends and it ends on like this was my empire strikes back like it ends on this big cliffhanger and i would i i can't remember the last time i saw something and where i was like oh i can't wait for the next hour of this and then it ended and i was like oh no like i just wanted to see more because i was so engaged at at the story um i can't wait for when that that comes out but that's my top 10 of the year that's a whole lot of talking (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, it feels like a whole lot of talking, but you move through it real efficiently. And also, I'm impressed at how much trivia you had on each one of those. Can I can I offer a couple of comments regarding your 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 sure list sure, sure. You catch your breath? Uh, I think your list is is one a, a good reflection of like 2023 and like just how varied like we've what kind of art we've gotten in theaters like it is wildly some of these are like wildly different from one another right like seeing an animated film at the top is already a surprise but getting like a small christmas holiday indie drama at number two is wild and then yorgos lanthimos for number three is a totally different one Uh, also of course skin and marink at the bottom incredible (laughs) i i i want for the record i for the for the for the record i want i want everybody to know here i had 11 on my list right up until we Started recording because I miscounted the columns and I thought rows and I thought I was fine and skin and wrinkles right in the end. I've got it in honorables, um, but overall rock solid list. I, I I like your list more than my list. My list feels really mainstream in comparison. Killers Oppenheimer <laughs> and Barbie all at the top. Good God, like I feel like it's, it's like Rolling Stone magazine's top ten of the year.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of pressure to you know rub elbows with all the rest of film Twitter, the film bros, and try and find you know, measure things only for what is the most art house. Um, but I, I think of things like just cultural impact and box office, I think have like Barbie will have changed th- what the studios do moving forward because no one, that movie was made for $150 million and it killed at the box office and the studios are probably going to take away the wrong lessons, but it, it changes things. And I knew people that saw that movie four times in theaters, everyone dressed up. I, I remember I saw an interview with Greta Gerwig. where he, where she was like everyone dressed up and she didn't know why she was like no one told them No one that they're just everyone got so excited and it just made so much sense to like cosplay to this movie that it it was just this massive event and it helped revitalize the struggling box office you know in in a summer where everything was flopping uh the flash mission impossible indiana jones all these kind of uh storied IPs that you would normally depend on were doing terribly. And now you get kind of this bizarro movie of a brand that everyone knows, but a story that no one does and and it worked. It's amazing. Yeah.
0: It is amazing. Like it's again, it's it's stellar like how much has come out this year. Like I think of like we did this podcast through the pandemic. Like, I mean, we took some weeks off for sure, but like, it was lean, man. Going to the movies, and I know next year, like, we even we still have a ton of great releases coming out. Like, I'm, I'm really looking forward to. It. But we should talk about honorable mentions. Uh, we've got quite the list of honorable mentions, things that didn't make it on here. Uh, Andy, should I go first, or do you
1: want to take it? Uh, where, where are you at? Do you, uh, want, uh, you, you, t- you take your honorable mentions.
0: Yeah, yeah. So uh, keen keen viewers of the show on YouTube, uh, we'll see that I've been slowly filling this out while Andy's been talking. Only a couple of things though, uh, starting with, in no particular order, Anatomy of a Fall. Uh, it's weird to think this isn't on the top 10 in any lesser year It would be. Uh, it just didn't quite make it for me. I, I liked it a lot, but it doesn't end up being a little lean in its uh first and third skin of Marink it's, it's, too long. it's a little long man yeah skin of again it would boy that was it was top 11 if i could have had top 11 of the year skin would have made it i think that movie is really cool i i think the best way to watch it in the theater i hope local indie cinemas will run it at midnight forever bottoms uh bottoms was tremendous really enjoyed it iron claw i know we just watched it Really cool, just man. I have. I don't think I have enough time to sit with it to say whether or not it's top ten material, but it's worth mentioning. Eileen, a sleeper. I liked Eileen. I, I think yeah, Eileen was a good bad stuff. Time. May December, which I really liked, but I didn't think would make it onto Andy's top ten. Color Me Impressed, Past Lives, a film that I feel like should be on our top tens, but isn't. <laughs> and then uniquely here, Napoleon, which neither of us will mention again for the rest of this show. I don't think. I don't think Andy's got it anywhere. <laughs> Uh, it is bananas. Ridley Scott's Napoleon gets no love, but dude, you got to c- compete with Scorsese and Nolan this year. What are you going to do? Everybody was putting out a movie.
1: Yeah. You're, you're, th- you're yeah third rank uh, behind those two for, for sure. Um, on my list, I have uh Suzume, which was an animated, uh, Japanese animated film we watched back in the spring. This was on my top 10 for a long time until we got kind of later in the the year and more things came out but a really endearing story um great visuals another animated uh, teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem uh, this came out over the summer a lot of fun probably uh, probably one of the better animated things that came out uh this year it was i was shocked it wasn't nominated for best animated at the golden globes when trash like the mario brothers movie <laughs> and <laughs> and disney's wish was um, John Wick Chapter 4, a three-hour action movie that never got boring. Somehow d- that that franchise only got better through the four films, and uh, the spinoff uh, m- movie is coming next summer. We'll see what that's all about. Bottoms, of course, which starred Ayo Itabiri and Rachel Sennett, who are kind of th- this new du- uh, powerhouse duo in indie films. Uh, a lot of fun not what I was expecting at all from that movie really enjoyed that. I recommended that to a lot. The killer, uh, David Fincher's, uh, latest with, of course, my Michael fan, Fassbender really enjoyed it. I love the 20 minute monologue about how you got to be so dedicated and so perfect only to blow the shot oh, blow uh, that kick that kicks everything off. And it has a lot of humor like that. There's some really impressive action scenes. There's a big brawl, uh, halfway through. That's a lot of fun, fun, very rewatchable anatomy of a fall, which I had heard so much of. I, I think it won like Palm d'Or at can. It was the buzziest thing for a while. It, it is a really compelling movie. It's a courtroom drama, but man, it's like two and a half hours long. And, uh, it wears me. It's, An important movie, but um, it just didn't make my top 10. Past Lives, which I heard nothing but buzz about. And this actually came out, I think, hit the award circuit like in last January. So I'd been hearing about it for eight months by the time we finally saw it. And it is an incredible first feature from director Celine Song, who was a playwright beforehand. Um, Really down-to-earth movie about relationships and and kind of parallel lives that happen in, in parallel of each other, but never meet. Uh, that, that's a lot of people's number one film. It's a great film. It, it was not on my top 10. And then finally, my last honorable mention guardians of the galaxy volume three, uh, one of the, one of the only like two really good superhero movies that came out this year. The other one being across the spider verse, um, James Gunn finishes this guardians trilogy goes out on a high note, uh, with the background story of rocket Rato- raccoon, some real, uh, Tragic stuff that happens in it, but it's a lot of fun. There's good action. Um, it was one of one, it's pretty much the only good Marvel movie that came uh, this year. Yeah, so Zach, where do we go from here?
0: Uh, well, it's funny you mention your the the only good Marvel movie that came out this year because my worst of the year, uh, which is much more cynical than Andy's. Andy's is much more honest. He's, Andy's worst of the year, I think, is Rock Solid, much like the rest of his list. Uh, my worst film of the year uh, for 2023 has got to be Ant Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. And I know it made money and I know it did fine, but I think Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is a unique like watershed moment in the Marvel franchise for me. It was the first time I was sitting in the theater watching it and going, oh my God, I can't believe this was acceptable. And we walked out of it, and I looked to the two people who saw it with me, which was Andy and our good friend Matt. And I said, like, they they felt the exact same way. I was like, okay, we all saw it. We all saw the Emperor with no clothes. We all saw just how bad this can go. Ant-Man and the Wasp was supposed to be the next step. It was supposed to be the new chapter. It was supposed to be the the plan when we got, we got it all worked out. Now we know what we're doing, and Kang's going to be in it and i think it will be something i continue to point at in the future is like an example of just how wrong the house of mouse can get it uh andy what what do you think
1: it was total well just to comment on that it was total hubris um it was mar, you know what people have deemed marvel slop where they're just started cranking out these mediocre superhero movies with mediocre b c d e list heroes and they are expecting to make huge amounts. It's like, no, you got to bring back the, the heavies if you want people to be, stay interested in this genre. My worst of the year went to Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, w- which uh, Winnie the Pooh entered public domain and uh, someone decided to make a horror movie based on them. And it was just real, low. it was like a $100,000 movie. It was really bad, really low budget, uh, really kind of exploitative too, a lot of a kind of unnecessary nudity. Um, and it, man, it was just boring and it is getting a sequel and uh, more money. So we'll we see more about that, we may or may not review it for the show.
0: I have a, Quick story about Winnie the Pooh, the Pooh, Blood and Honey. I want to share on the show. I've shared this with Andy privately, but you know it's the end of the year, and I think this should be a time of being honest uh, with each other. So I want to be honest with you all and let you know that Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, is the only time I've ever intent like snuck. <laughs> it's the only time I've ever snuck Chinese food into a movie theater so I could eat it <laughs> in the dark while I watch. Um, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is basically at a, a, a AMC at a mall near near me, and right in the food court, there's Chinese food. And I took a flat Tupperware dish, got there a half hour early, walked to the food court, bought orange chicken, got it all in there, slipped it into my like belt between my belt and my and and walked snuck, snuck into the theater with it and ate it with the fork. And not even that delight like saved that movie. Winnie the Pooh, Blood <laughs> and Honey is so terrible. It's so bad, <laughs> like, and they're gonna make another one, and they're gonna make more of like the schlocky Disney knockoffs. I know Jane, what Steamboat Mickey is is now in the public domain. That Peter Pan. Soon. Yep, yeah, they're they're already doing a Bambi thing. Like, I get it, but like, not, a, dude. It's so bad. The people who went and saw it with me were all high schoolers who were like vaping and on their phones. Like, it was just miserable the whole time. Like nothing good about it, man. It is straight to Redbox trash. Don't go see it. It's so bad
1: moving on to uh some more disappointments. Uh, this is the list of for me is actually pretty long. Um Shazam Fury of the Gods, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, Saltburn, Salt which Burn. we'll talk about more in a second. Uh Ant-Man and the Wasp: Quantumania, The Flash, and um I maybe shouldn't say this one <laughs> uh, because we're going to review it soon Maestro is on my disappointments.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: I got Maestro on mine.
0: Yeah, no. So, uh, sh- go god.
1: So well with Shazam: Fury of the Gods again, more more superhero slop. And and again, this is yes, the DC thing is changing with James Gunn t- taking over. But this movie was still bad. Like e- if they hadn't changed course, this wasn't. I mean, it wasn't going to be well received. It's somehow the first Shazam is actually pretty. F- this is a pretty fun mo- movie. Somehow he gets stupider in this one. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is a movie twenty year, twenty thirty years just too late in the making. Uh, the indiana jones formula is just kind of dated at at this point in time um a movie like that is where you would have cutting edge action sequences and now we have so much more of that and things like john wick so it just none of it worked the story doesn't work the the artifact or mystery thereafter isn't uh compelling um Man, it, that was a huge miss. And I mean, it didn't look. At no point did that trailer ever look good. But um, and it was worse than than, uh, than I thought. Um, we've already talked about Ant Man three, The Flash. I was supposed to do this. Uh, t- uh m- what do we call it? Other world, multiverse. Sorry, multiverse, <laughs> multiverse story. Instead of having, I heard this on another podcast. Instead of having one annoying ca- character as the Flash, you had two. Uh, I don't know why they decided to make the flash like the uh, comic relief in this universe is kind of annoying and you made two of them and you made the second one even more annoying than the first one. The effects are bad. A bunch of weird cameo porn by the end uh, with cr- dead Christopher Reeve showing up. Uh, George Clooney, Nick. Ca- I can't think of names right now. Nick Cage. Yeah, I, do, just, I know. Uh, we've, we've been
0: blitzing these lists. Yeah, yeah.
1: So bad. Um, and then I, I want to touch on Salt Saltburn, um, and we I think Zach and I saw both this great tweet that said you know Emerald Fennel the director is so much better than Emerald Fennel the 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 writer. the writer and yes and and that's exactly true the uh, Saltburn has such style it has really interesting char- characters great soundtrack and then just a plot that goes nowhere and kind of really misses the the point of class warfare. Um, Man, a big miss. And I, I, she gets one more out of me. And if and if she does it again, I, I, I think I'm done with her.
0: Saltburn is on my disappointments of the, of the year, too, as well as Maestro. I, probably a perfect way to round this out because I just have a, a, a tighter, smaller version of what Andy's already said. But to expound on that a little bit, Saltburn has moved from what I assumed would gen- easily be a top 10 spot to late 10s to honorable mentions <laughs> uh, to ultimately disappointments for me, it is slow and not over. Like the course of watching the film, over the weeks of thinking about it since I've sat with it, because I'm so charmed by the look and the feel and the vibe of Saltburn, I want to be in that unit. Like I want to spend time in that place. Like I, I love the look of it and the feel of it. But just, like, its character, like, I end up becoming, like, deluded by this belief that, like, what I'm seeing is reality and that, like, any of this is possible. Like, ultimately, it is shallow and vain and vapid, and it swings at the wrong people. Not that any movie should swing at anybody, but, like, it just seems like Fennel misses the mark. Like, and it's funny. Like, I, I felt similarly about... Promising young woman with a unique ending of like having the cops show up and save the day. It's like, really? That, that, that's how we're going to round this out suddenly law enforcement is valid anyway like Saul burn is weird and while i really like the look of it i have to accept that it's mostly due to its cinematographer who also has shot all of damien chazelle's work and does really great work maestro meanwhile we need to talk about and that's why well, i think this might be the perfect pivot right i think i think this might be the perfect dismount from our list so we can talk about absolutely. it absolutely uh all, all, all in all comments on 2023 andy before we jump in i mean any any last minute thoughts recommendations
1: i mean i think an an incredible year i think the proliferation of film is is back up to kind of normal well we say that and then we had this the strikes this year so next year's output is going to be a little bit less i i think but 2025 is going to be great um an incredible year i i think both in popular film and also like indie art house stuff yeah, just so many good stuff we we had a heart like i said we had a hard time keeping it to just 10 so many good good things uh and just fun time great experiences in the cinema things like oppenheimer and barbie were were amazing to see with the crowd so yeah really incredible year
0: yeah, uh, 2023's been a banger all around, not only in movies and games and in, in media, comics, like I think 2025 is the next big thing because a lot of these people now are moving into projects that will be finished in 2025 but keep in mind 2024 has a lot going on in it George Miller has a new film coming out Denis Villeneuve has Dune 2 coming out Uh, 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 Bong Joon-ho has Mickey 17 coming out right and all of those are within like a month and a half of each other and that's in March like that's not far at least I think Mad Max Furious is in March I don't even know anyway May. it's all close May. all right so not only has it been fantastic there's much more to look forward to so thanks for listening and watching 2023 with us it's been great and we got one more movie to talk about before we wrap for the year uh andy please um
1: take it away maestro so this is bradley cooper's not di- directorial debut, it's his second uh, film after directing A Star is Born, uh, about the life and times of conductor, composer, pianist, uh, American icon, Leonard Bernstein, who was a very influential composer in the 50s and 60s and into to the 70s, um, really, and it, the film explores his, his talent his his rise but also his his relationship with uh his wife felicia played by carrie mulligan and uh kind of the struggles that they had also with him being a semi open like either gay or bisexual man it kind of handles that that strangely it chronicles different big uh moments in his life uh if you don't know leonard bernstein helped revitalize the american musical with uh the west side story and candide and he he was a prolific composer also did had like had uh tv series kind of b- before we we ha- had things like N- npr or mr rogers he was doing things like that I, you can you still watch look up these videos of him like teaching the audience about classical music in black and white and white um kind of an icon of your parents or your parents parents generation uh, there's a lot to talk about in this film some controversy uh, surrounding it too. Zach, what did you think?
0: So I think Maestro is a movie about layers and like it's it's a movie about what people see versus like what's really there versus what's maybe hiding just under the surface, right? Like it's a movie about intentions. And, and like I think Cooper has been kind of kind of a little hear me out, a little drug through the mud by people who were like, this is pretentious, this is pompous. Because I think Star is Born has a lot of really, really great work for a directorial feature. It did fantastic. And watching Maestro, at least in the first act, I felt the same way. It feels like Cooper has stepped up his game. We're using huge lenses, right, to get these sweeping crane shots into long pull-ins of thoughtful, long-take, Oscar-worthy performances, likely, like Oscar nom, maybe. Um... The problem is, it's all so damn boring, and and boy, it 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 just doesn't doesn't it, it stays in this spa- space of boring for far too long, and and you end up checking your watch, and then you check it again, and you check it a third time, and you're like, oh my god, how is this movie still have a half hour left? Um, the story of Leonard Bernstein, I, I think, is is told
1: th- in a big way. I think it's aimed. I thought wrong. that like a half hour in, I was like, oh my Dude, god, there's so yeah. much yeah.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, he, he, he really, like, even, I should say, the the first, probably, probably first act, for epilogue, maybe, is in, like, uh, the, the prologue really is black and white before we kind of shift to color. Um, and I got bored in the black and white part. Like, and that's not even half of the film. Like, and I've seen other people saying the same thing. Like, it's, a, it's an issue of pacing real bad. And, and, and he's the, you know it's hard not to pin that on cooper right he's he's the director of course as well as the star um he 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 immerses himself in the role of of bernstein like he he's really been in this all of the music in the film is leonard bernstein right you have all of this authentic architecture locations places feelings conversations like all of this has been pulled in and it's really tremendous but like it's just just aimed off the
1: mark a little bit and
0: ends up being too dry andy
1: i talked way too long about this what do you think um I really struggled with it as well and this movie should be right up my alley like I was a classical music musician yeah. for 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 you know almost 20 years I got 3 degrees in, in classical music performance um this should be my bag and I I could have not been more bored and the movie just can't decide what it wants to be about like it's it's kind of showing important moments in this person's life but it doesn't really get into a why he's so talented why he he was such kind of an important musician and why he was such an important icon in in american music making and it glosses over those um those accomplishments like literally in dialogue it said yeah you know you wrote west side story and that was incredible really and then you wrote this and it's like Everyone knows West Side Story. Even if you hate musicals, you've heard of West Side Story. They've redone West Side. St- I mean, Steven Spielberg just redid it with all that same music that he wrote, and along with uh, lyricists with uh, Steven Sondheim. Yeah. Uh And we don't we don't really get into that of like why he's so good, why he's such a, such an incredible artist. We we just he just kind of is, and it's much more preoccupied with his relationship and kind of sex life. He, he is married to Felicia, who's an actress, actress. And, uh, but he has uh, male callers all throughout, but it, it handles this so poorly. Like um, it, it'll show him like giving a hug to a man, but it, it never, it never shows those relations. It never gives those relationships equal weight. Like his relationship with Felicia, they'll have arguments, they'll have intimate moments. They'll talk, but with, the men it just it handles it real pg-13 and i just i don't know what it's trying to say this movie's all over the place there's huge time jumps you don't yes. know what year it is you don't know if it's been one year five years ten years it's just like what are we doing
0: yeah it it genuinely feels like an issue in Po- a low-key post-production, it feels like something you might be able to edit around, because editing is important for pacing, and I think this film's biggest problem is its pacing, not only because of these multiple, real long-take sequences where characters are having very dry conversations, right? They're, like Andy said, are very surface, because they're not really digging into what's going on. There's a lot of, like, talking around and speaking in, in like... Yeah, Insinuations but, but and Yeah And it's also a little bit Older language Bernstein has a bit of a flair When he talks and, um, But I, I think Like I think in a, in a, in, another, in another movie, you'd shoot it differently with more cutaways, and I think Cooper just opted not to do that. Like, I'm just going to shoot him real simple. I'm going to shoot a one of this. This is all we're getting. Maybe they shot more, but it's like, I just don't know if he had the coverage to fix it later, and he just couldn't cut back and forth between Carrie Mulligan and him. Instead, the camera will, will bring in on them for four minutes while they talk about something, and you're like, this is great. It's like theater. It's It's good. But like in a two and a half hour film, like that gets that gets real dry real fast. And this is coming from like the guys that saw *Memoria*, right? Like we, I, I don't know.
1: Yeah, um, I mean this this movie is nothing but problems. Uh, he, Bradley Cooper, his performance has been talked about a lot. There was some cont- controversy nosegate about him using a prosthetic nose t- uh, to per- portray Leonard Bernstein the problem with that is like most people most people don't know what he looked like and or who he was like he's not famous enough like i said he's he's an icon of your parents parents generation and most people just don't know he died in 1990s been dead a long time like people just don't really know who this person is or why they're important. And this movie did not give us a good job of why that is. Um, and sh- I'm sure Sherry takes on the mannerisms and he's sat in the makeup chair for four years or sorry, four hours a day before every, <laughs> every shoot. Um,
0: yeah.
1: And I just, I just don't care. There's, there's a long sequence of him conducting uh mauler too, I think towards the end that's, that's been talked about a lot. Um, that doesn't impress me at all because what he's talking about, it took him six years to do that, to be able to conduct this. And I was like, sir, what took you so long? Have you tried acting? Like (laughs) anyone could, could like you could go to school, you'd get a couple of music degrees in that amount of time. Um, There's a point where you're no longer acting and you're just a practitioner. Like if if you film me while I'm playing my musical instrument, I'm not acting. I'm just doing it on camera. And that's essentially what he's doing. Like, I just don't care it it seems like he's just trying so hard to win an oscar to win for acting um it's just it's so try hard and it doesn't it doesn't feed the story it it doesn't like our narrative is just like all over the place like what is this i have no idea what this movie is about yeah i don't know what 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 is the antagonist who is the antagonist like i don't know what the conflict is here other than he he can't be as out about sexuality as he would like i guess
0: Yeah, it ends up coming off, I think, more of like an abstract observation of a life long lived. But I I do want to talk about the positives. Like, cause 'cause there are some here. Like, just like Star Wars Born, like, I do think this movie is shot really well. I think it's not edited great. Like, it's it's just, there's no cutaways. It never, it doesn't move along in its pace. Like, it's like, it's the opposite of an action scene that's over edited, right? With eight cuts in four seconds. Like, it's under edited. Like, there's not enough here to move things along. Additionally, yeah, your large time jumps feel irreverent and people leave the theater, leave the. Netflix wherever they're watching feeling uh disconnected and lost. I do think it would have played better on a big theater though cuz like I said there's some really incredible shots in here. Like there's some really great work, fantastic framing. He's got an eye for it. Like and he's working with his previous cinematographer who shot Stars Born. I forget the man's name. Um, but big filmography from him. So he's got good partners. I think performances are great. I do. Like, I think Cooper's got this light airiness to him. He ages into Bernstein great. I will admit, with Andy, it's a bad prosthetic because it doesn't make it not look like Bradley Cooper at all. Like, he definitely still looks like Bradley Cooper. It's not, there's never a point where I'm like, boy, that's not Bradley Cooper. Maybe I'm just, maybe I've seen too many movies. But Carrie Mulligan, meanwhile, is tremendous. Uh, this is her big performance of the year. It reminds me of Andy hathaway and eileen right like in the way that this is the thing that she read and thought i'm sinking my teeth into this this is going to be huge i've only got a bit part in emerald fennel's next movie i gotta make this one count she's (laughs) great this is tremendous work they'll probably both get a nom for it like in any lesser year they would
1: she is acting circles around him she's doing the heavy lifting because she plays the kind of um, long-standing uh, long-suffering wife of the great genius like she takes the brunt of his affairs, uh, she maintains the, f- the, f- the the facade, the family um, and it, she also tragically uh, died of, of cancer which is portrayed in the film like, like Carrie Mulligan's doing an amazing job and she's not wearing a ridiculous prosthetic she's not uh, conducting an, an orchestra because that's not what great performances are are about? Um, she's great, great in this movie. This movie is almost more about her. Yeah. Um, go ahead.
0: And I I, I do want to reiterate a the music's tremendous, and and b like I I think I really do think for what's here, like I think Cooper left it all on the field. But what I think he left there is just not exactly what people want. I think in his mind, this like two and a half hour like thoughtful piece. On this like life and times, this person like I I I think he could watch this, to you know five 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 more five times a week if he wanted. Like this is this is really great art. Like and and in that way, like he made it for himself, and I think that's what every good artist should do. You should make artists for you art for you, you know. And then if other people come along and like it, that's where that intimate connection springs from. Like, and I believe that. I think this is Bradley Cooper's maestro, hundred and ten percent. Like I just think it's too disconnected from like the language most of us kind of speak cinema through right like it's 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 too slow it's too disparate it's too unintentional in its direction like in its narrative direction i should say like it just misses a couple of points so finely that it ends up being a big blunder it's like a it's like an olympic runner tripping over the first hurdle like you're just like oh my god like you you trained you have all of the and it's the opposite for him because he hasn't trained that much but it just feels like it's got so much grandeur and it's, it's so large it ends up feeling miscommunicated to me that that was the vibe i got hopefully that i don't know yeah andy
1: no yeah i i wasn't sure what he was attempting to communicate i'm not real sure where his character ends up by the end of the the movie um it's kind of again it seems a little aimless i wanted to also mention that uh maya hawk is in here as one of uh, bernstein's children um She might be Nepo Baby Prime because she shows up in everything and just kind of plays herself. (laughs) Uh, She was in this year's Asteroid City. I think actually probably more memorable in, in that movie than this one.
0: Yeah and and I think she she blends in a little better as the uh, school teacher who falls for the singing cowboy in the play. Um yeah, Maya Hawk like she shows up in this movie and I definitely leaned it, I leaned up in my chair. Is that, Maya, is that Maya Hawk? And then the whole rest of the movie I thought that sure is Maya Hawk. She's doing great. Like they got to give her a different haircut or something. Like she just looks like yeah, she's she's right right in the spot. She ends up looking the same in every movie. It's like, "Oh Maya, baby, you got to you got to break out." But Yeah, I, mean, I did want to mention things going on. Yeah.
1: Sarah Silverman, uh, the comedian, is also in this. In not as not in a comedic role, she actually has a very serious like, uh, act, yeah, yeah. acting part. And I, I was really surprised by that because she, she's great. She's unrecognizable both in like in her appearance and just her her mannerisms. And yeah, it's right. a g- surprisingly good performance. Yes. Um, I, think
0: I, I, know, I think that's all. I know. I think. I think I'm running out of steam too. One more thing I will say. Um, just like any any any. Any of these big Netflix features, like, I wish I could have seen this in a movie theater. I know that would have been a bit more disparate, but I think the visuals are really strong. Watching it at home just doesn't quite put you over. Like, I think that would have helped the experience. I wish Netflix was more engaged in that. They don't seem to really want to invest in theatrical screenings. They just kind of do them liminally. So, catch them when you can. Um yeah the next time something big from netflix comes down the pipe even if you're not sure about it i guess try to go see it a theater if possible i wish i'd seen this there andy what did you think of maestro sorry would you recommend maestro it's been quite the episode
1: man this is a hard the hardest of passes for me like i'm a musician i'm a classically trained musician like my teacher knew leonard bernstein and actually like he played on uh like Bernstein's mass and like knew him personally. And like, I could not get into this movie at all. Uh The performance is whatever he he's, he's trying so hard to win this Oscar. And it's, he doesn't do anything that deserves it. Carey Mulligan is so much better than he is in this. The narrative is all over the place. I don't know what it's trying to say about him, about music and art. Um it's aimless. It's so, it feels so long. It's two hours and 10 minutes. It's not, it's not super long, but it just feels like it goes on forever. It does a lot of really kind of interesting artistic shots, ways of different things that are um, shot, but it's just overshadowed by the story just going nowhere.
0: It's funny, like you, you mentioned the runtime because yeah, you're right. I thought it was longer, but Claw is nearly the same. I think Claw is actually a couple minutes longer and it's, it again, pays so much better. Like just moves right through you. You rarely ever get bored. Like it moves, moves fantastic. Maestro ends up being a slog. Like it's, it's, it's not bad. It's really not. I don't think Maestro is a bad film, but I think it's perfect for the disappointment category. It just doesn't quite get where you need, to, need it to be. I still think it'll probably get nominated for Oscars. I don't know what it'll win. I've seen people saying Cooper's going to scoop the Oscar over Killian Murphy. I would be surprised. Uh, I don't know who's going to get it, but like, I don't, I think Carrie Mulligan might sneak one. I, this would be her multiple for her. I think she already has one, maybe two. Um, but
1: overall, Maestro is
0: an interesting, interesting character work. Um, just, just not quite where I needed it to
1: be. The um, the other thing I'll, I'll say about, you know, Oscar stuff is like, the Oscars are a lot of, are about what you, what have you done for the industry? What have you done for me lately? And um, a movie that comes out on Netflix is, generally not not as well received as something that you know came out and was a big uh, theatrical hit mm, well uh. uh
0: god that's 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 the last episode of the year andy i would say what are we watching next week but we're taking we're taking it off we're getting we're getting ourselves together
1: when are we back yes. right so the uh there's we're, there's a couple of weeks of, of not really anything coming out so i would encourage people to uh, catch up on anything you haven't seen it's a whole lot of movies uh out are the next big releases that we'll be covering are uh mean girls and the book of clarence which both come out on january 12th so w- that show won't be till the 16th but before then we will be returning on january 9th um, and we're going to cover the color purple and ferrari and anything else we might see in in between uh so Uh, We'll be taking next week off back in a couple of weeks uh, with just trying to catch up with everything that's come out this year. Still have to see the zone of interest, which is a a Holocaust drama, which probably isn't out until like February, but um, that's something else. So, but next week taken off and then back with Ferrari in color purple.
0: Like I saw that the loose translation for zone of interest in China was a dream concentration camp, which is like, oh, geez. Uh, yeah, no, would love to see zone of interest. We'll cover it when it comes out. Uh, meanwhile, I've been hearing good things about Ferrari, Michael Mann's Ferrari, mostly that it's a Michael Mann feature and that it actually has a bit more juice than than appears, which is good. Big performances from. Uh, Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz. Also, uh, I'm looking forward to *The Color Purple*. Like, uh, not only because of what I said previous, but because of the box office. I mean, look at it. Like, it's not it's doing well. People are talking. Scott has of mouth. moving. All right, I want to go see it. It's gonna be good stuff. And uh, we'll see about *Mean Girls*. I don't know. *Book comments looks fun. *Mean Girls* will probably be fine. Anyway, if you enjoyed the show today, if you spent. Any second of a second of just a little bit of 2023 with us, listening to us ramble about movies. If you enjoyed the top 10 of the year, maybe had some feelings on our disappointments, honorable mentions, right? Worst of the year. Uh, The best way to correspond with us is you can email us at mail Email, you say, but I listen to podcasts. I do social media stuff. Well, of course, we're in all the usual social media places. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, we're around. You can comment over there. You can follow. You can subscribe. You can also subscribe on YouTube where really big things are happening for your off script boys. I'm not kidding. Big things going on over at YouTube. We're hitting milestones. We're checking boxes. All right, big things going on. Come check us out over there. We're on all the usual podcast outlets, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartMedia. You can find us there and follow. You might be listening there right now. You can also leave a rating and review if you have a second on your way out, right? Just swing by that app store, hit five stars. We really appreciate it. App store, review store, wherever you review your... Mm-hmm. I got to dismount. Anyway, it's been a great year for movies in 2023, uh, and we have really enjoyed spending it with y'all. So from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis.
1: And I'm Dr. Draper.
0: Thanks for watching.